So for for me in 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 my life, what I did was, I said to um, it came to a point in my life where I said, I need spirituality. I need to know about there must be more to life than just working, getting up in the morning, going to work at nine o'clock, coming home at five o'clock, going to bed, waking up the next day, and doing the same thing over and over again. There must be more to life than just eating food and taking pleasure from a meal. There must be more to life than drinking a latte and taking pleasure in a latte. And all of these thoughts take you towards spirituality. And when you know spirituality, that is to come to Allah. So, so that was how it started. But then what really, you know, practically for me, what happened was I said to the, the various friends that I had at the time, you know, I believe in, I want to know about God, yeah. whether or not God exists. What would you advise me? So I spoke to a Christian. Right. I spoke to a Buddhist. I spoke to a Muslim. Right. I spoke to a Hindu. a Hindu a little bit. Yeah. And also to an Ahmadi Muslim as well. Right. And they all right. gave me the same advice. They all said, Allah, we believe in God. We pray and God answers prayers. So what was very nice is all the different religions essentially gave the same advice. When I did that, then when I prayed, then Allah answered my prayers. And I prayed for the first time genuinely from my heart. And Allah says that whenever the supplicant prays to him, then he answers those prayers. And Allah, by by the grace of Allah Almighty, then he answered my prayers and I believed in him for the first time. And from there, I continued those conversations and I said to the Christian, what do you believe? I said to the Muslim, what do you believe? And to the Hindu, the same, and to the Ahmadi Muslim. And essentially, to believe in Islam Ahmadiyyat means you believe in all of Jesus' teachings, all of Krishna's teachings, all of Buddha's teachings, but you have them clarified by the Holy Quran. And then you accept the Prophet or the Imam Mahdi who's been sent by Allah in in subservience to the Holy Prophet So to, to become an Ahmadi Muslim means that you actually accept everything that all of the others do, but you are the most submissive to Allah because you accept a prophet that has come so recently that to make that decision shows or inshallah it shows to Allah that I'm willing to follow you and not just my culture, not just my society, but I'm willing to accept the one that you've sent in my, in my time, in my generation. Hello and welcome, may the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all on this 
I don't know how to describe today. It's a bit of a weird weather. The weather's been weird this whole last week. It's been cold, but today is, you would think it's... I see one flimsy really cloud, like, sort yeah, of no, far away. Really actually, actually. Yeah, it's all right. It's but anyway, welcome to Saturday Morning Live. Uh, you have joined myself, Usman Bad Shams Najm, and Mudabbar Khalid in today's show. Where, as usual, for the first hour, we'll be talking about different news stories, stories that caught eye, and then in the second hour of the show, the architect of this week's show, Mr. Shams Najm, who's sitting next to me, will take over, and we'll be talking about the soul. Very deep, deep topic. It'll be very interesting to know what inspired him to pick that topic this week. But as I said, it is a live and interactive show. We know we want you to get involved. Have your say, be part of our conversation. 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. Or you can get in touch through any of our socials at Voice of Islam UK. Guys, Assalamu alaikum and the peace and blessings of God be upon you all. How's it going? How's your week been? Bit of a tough one, really. You lot sound energy deprived. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. Alhamdulillah, I haven't had a bad week. It's just um, with everything that's going on in the world, it's like, it's important to just stay focused and uh, pray and you know just remember uh, remember people that are suffering around the world. That's what we've been constantly reminded of, and that's what we're trying to trying to do. Yeah. You know, you know what's in uh, what's sad actually is. Um, Whenever we prepare for this show, like you know, we we'll try and um, we'll try and find some good news stories. Yeah, but it's just becoming. You, know, you mentioned just before the show started as well. It's just becoming harder and harder and harder to actually find stories. I'm stories, sure. I'm yeah. sure there's you know, there, there's clearly so much good happening out there, but because it's we're masked so much by all the the bad things that we're seeing that it's actually difficult to find uplifting. Uh, stories yeah as I was mentioning just before that the, like one of the um, I'm not going to mention which news outlet but one of the main news uh, one of our main news outlets um, <coughs> on their website <coughs> the, la- the last uplifting story so they've got a page dedicated to uplifting stories and the last uplifting story was from April 2022 that's the last mm-hmm. time they uploaded a, a uplifting story and this is like a main main news outlet so um, yeah you're right there is obviously loads of good happening around the world um, it's just because of what the current you, climate is like it's just a bit difficult to it's find. interesting when um, <clears throat> whenever you see something in the news um, you always self-reflect I mean I always self-reflect to think where am I um, yeah. when it comes to for example spirituality and with what's going on now for me, uh, when I self-reflect, it's, I think, obviously one topic at the focus point is suffering. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of innocent people suffering. Uh, but then you see the reactions. Um, and their reactions, especially the reactions of children, makes me self-reflect and wonder that where am I spiritually? Um, because that kind of age-old question of if there's a God, why is there so much suffering? I've always thought, and I've seen this firsthand, especially when you go to countries that are, aren't as established or less fortunate, that those people who are going through suffering, their faith is the so strong. With it, yeah. it, it, it's just, <coughs> it just, they're so cemented in their kind of belief that there is a God, He will help, and there will be justice. Mm. Like maybe not in this world, but there will be justice for people's actions. 
and that almost puts me to shame because like we're living in luxury mm. and our difficulties are so minor when you compare them to what's going on around the world yet in luxury we get very lazy and then we forget to we forget our purpose and we get so comfortable that we forget our purpose and slowly but surely uh, faith for us just becomes or practice of faith or fulfilling the rights of faith mm. becomes like an afterthought it becomes like a tick box of it, uh, exercise that yeah something we do but actually it's lacking meaning uh, and it's lacking kind of that real um, quality that actually can take us to a next step when it comes to belief so that's one thing I always like when I see what's happening especially for example when you see kids um so many different videos of kids like just giving other children comfort mm -hmm. like when I saw that kid the video clip of two children sitting down they both lost their parents mm -hmm. and one of them is giving the other comfort that is like it melts your heart mm -hmm. but at the same time you think wow like how strong do you have to be mm -hmm. not even as an adult as a child to give another child like comfort yeah. in such difficult times I think I think in general humans are super weak I think there's certain you know there's faculties that we have um, that if they're not used <coughs> they just weaken and I think some of those are such as resilience faith patience mm. and where we live in you know uh, <coughs> in in luxury comparatively we we don't exercise some of those uh, abilities that we have as much and so we lose sight of them and and you're you're absolutely right um i remember going to nigeria now over 10 years ago uh over a decade ago uh, my memory's not great in general but there's a few things i remember from that trip um from that visit one was uh, i remember walking into um you know for a few days Everywhere you go, people are so welcoming. They're so nice. They're so happy. Yet all around you, you see poverty. And and maybe you know if you come from a country like this and you go there, you see it even more so. Obviously, because mm. it's it's not the norm for you, right? And so automatically, you're building this bias. You're building sort of judgment. You're you're like, everyone must be super unhappy. Everyone must be super down. You know, it seems as if, you know, we just hear stories, but you know, you're now you're now there, and you're like clearly you know you know you can see that there's not enough food or whatever right you can see that they're not living a life sort yeah. of <coughs> completeness and um i remember you know everyone would just be so welcoming and, and always say hello as you're walking past or whatever anyway at, at one point I went into i went into a supermarket to get something a drink or whatever i don't know and the person that served me was just so happy so welcoming because you know they recognized straight away that um, obviously wasn't from around there, my sort of attire or whatever, right? <clears throat> I just got into a bit of a conversation. There was an elderly lady. And um, I remember asking, like, why are you so happy? Like, I don't know whether it was naively or, you know. Yeah. I was like, why what, are you so happy? What a question. Like, um, what is it that, you know, you... you I, and I was literally, I was doing the hand, actually. I was like, look all around you. Like, it seems like... I remember I was in, I was in university at this time, right? And that's, you know supposed to be like the inquisitive period of your life so i was just inquiring right and i was just looking around. i was like look um this look at look at around look around you basically <clears throat> you know um why are you why are you so happy what is it that you're so welcoming you're so nice you know um and i gave her example i said i you know in in london uh, <laughs> where i live like you jump on the tube no one wants to look at you let alone say hello to you 
Um, you know, everyone's miserable. Um, but yet, they're probably materially at least living a much better life than, than, than you would be. Um, I think I'm putting the argument a little bit more, sort of, in a better way than I probably would have at that time with her. But, you know, I was just trying to say that, you know, what is it? And essentially, her response to me was, uh, I think it was, I think it was, she was saying, like, you guys are <coughs> greedy, but also you don't appreciate what, what God has given. Mm. So, like, no matter what you keep getting, you always want more, and so you're never happy. Whereas with us, we're just, we're happy to just even be alive. You know, mm. even the smallest things satisfy us. And so, and so we are happy. And I remember thinking about that. I was like, it's so true, isn't it? Do you, like, <coughs> do you feel sometimes this concept of leaving your next, like your your children, your next generation, better off than you were, sometimes does more harm than good? Yeah, a hundred, I, I see what you're saying. My dad would fully agree with you. <laughs> yeah, but I agree. No, with I God, see what so you're so. saying, but I think there's something innate in parents that you cannot avoid that. The mm. desire to provide for your children, to make sure that they don't feel any of the struggles you felt is innate. And I've had these conversations before, even actually with your brother. Mm. Um, you know, I've had these conversations because we've got two sort of young children in the same class and, you know, they're friends. And, and we, we have spoken about the fact that you want to do everything for them, but, like, is there an element that you're... No, cocooning because I, I give yeah, you, I give yeah, you an example. Naturally, you can't <clears> avoid Because, that. like, for example... All right, so you mentioned Liberia. I had opportunity, sorry, Nigeria. I had the opportunity to go to Liberia for two months, and I stayed <coughs> in a village. Um, and the whole purpose was that when we graduated from our kind of missionary university, you go to different parts of the world to experience that part of the world and actually see the realities of the world. So we went to this village, and um, our mission was that you just go to this village, there's one member of our community who's kind of given his house so you use it as a mosque and start preaching so we started um but i still remember my first day there we got there at <clears throat> just before the sun set and it was literally four walls no different to the studio mm. and the roof was, well there was no roof it was just like metal shutters they just put on flat mm. and we walked in and it was just pitch black um and the guy realized that our reaction wasn't like, like it wasn't one of those viewings where like, wow, there's so much space. <laughs> oh, no, the lighting in it is amazing. Like it was none of that. You just went, okay, okay, well, this is it. He goes, well, is everything okay? And the first observation I made was, oh, but there's no windows. <laughs> just an innocent comment. He goes, oh, do you need a window? I was like, yeah. He goes, okay, go. you go wait in the other guy's house. Give us a few hours, I'll get your window. <laughs> so I don't know how he did it. But when I came back, <laughs> now in that same like four walls, there was a hole in one wall. <laughs> and the poor guy, the guy goes to us. Here's your window. He mate. goes, Here's your window. But I've put like a I've put like a um cardboard. No, no, not a cardboard, it was like um uh, wooden plank type okay. thing. He goes Amazing. as a window. Yeah, yeah. He goes. I would. I would highly recommend that you keep this window shut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so because it's not a window. <laughs> you can, I mean, you get light coming in, but with the mosquitoes and everything, mm. it, it's really recommended <laughs> that you just keep this window shut. But anyway, so that those two months were the most humbling. Was the most humbling experience of my life because mm. we had no electricity, no running water, um, no gas, nothing. Um, and with water it was like we had to buy 
like a sachets of water. They didn't have bottles. They had sachets of water. Mm-hmm. You buy like a 30 pack. Um, and even like buying stuff, it's not like the luxury of, oh, I'll just go to the supermarket. It's like when this particular trader brings his goods to the village, you have to go on that particular day. Yeah. Um, so, for example, we've got 30 packs. So now we need to make sure these 30 packs we're using for drinking, cleaning and our toilet use. Mm. So it was really humbling in the sense that, and because there was no electricity, there's no phone, laptops, mm. um, and then we had a choice. So we had a generator, so we that we would turn on two hours every day. So you have a choice in those two hours that, okay, do we use our electricity to charge up everything, or do we just use the luxury of actually let's turn the fan on for two hours and just go to sleep mm-hmm. because it will be cooling <coughs> and it gets so hot. I think both from both of your experiences, yeah. it sounds like, um, you know, you don't really appreciate what you have until it's gone. No, and yeah, and that's the thing. So, like, for example, the, why, why I mentioned all of this is because that was the first time in my life I did not need an alarm clock to wake up for mm. prayer or to remind me that it's prayer. Mm. Like, now, it's like you have to have an alarm clock. Mm. I have to get, like, sometimes I have to get people to wake me up. Okay, I'm going for a nap. Please wake me up. Mm. Whereas there waking up was not an issue and it's getting for me now I reflect on it getting emotional in prayer not because of what I don't have I wasn't not thinking that what I don't have it was just it was a wake up call that actually when it comes down to it none of this is important like what we have in this world Mm. but Mm. actually what is important is this action of fulfilling this prayer like Mm. doing justice to the prayer that I'm doing right now is the most important thing that's happening and if I'm doing it like very quickly, just getting past it so I can say, yeah, done it. Tick box, please. Then it's like, well, what's the point of that? What's the value mm. in that? Whereas if I'm wholeheartedly looking forward to the next prayer, because I know that I'm now, my day is revolved around these five prayers, it makes a huge difference. But coming back to the point of children, what I'm saying is like hard work is what I feel, especially especially in these countries when you go to the those guys or people who are living in those circumstances have to work hard. Like, if you don't work hard, you don't get a living. Mm. Uh, whereas here, it's like, uh, sometimes the reason I ask that question is because, let's say, you in your life make a huge effort to financially stabilize yourself and your family. But now, not only are you financially, sta- you, you've gone through all of that hard work, now your child, who's going to invest everything that you leave behind, hasn't done any element of hard work, but yet he's set. So, in this life where you get a choice of either taking the easy path or understanding the concept of struggling and striving and sacrificing mm-hmm. to achieve a goal that I feel it's um, a very hard balance we can discuss it but mm. I feel like that especially in religion like if I told you that these two options you have to really struggle and strive to build a relationship with God or you can just do this easy thing um and which one would you rather do? <laughs> you know what? There's there's something quite fascinating what you said, actually, just thinking about it. Being there in sort of that remote village, even if you had access to social media, um, internet, technology, uh, and you know how we say sort of technology sort of connected the world and social media yeah, yeah. connected the world. In that situation, what value does it give um, to someone living in those conditions? Yeah. But actually the fact that prayer a universal concept uh, which God has instructed us to do automatically connects us. It's the same actions, the same God listening, the same focus, 
regardless of what you're wearing or how expensive your watch is at that time or what car is waiting outside for you, you go into this place where you're told to sort of turn to your creator. And I think that's quite like, just thinking about it, how amazing is that? Like, regardless of where you are, that's the focus. It doesn't matter, um, you know, what you can afford or what you can't afford. And I think that that in itself probably gives much more hope to those people who don't have a material uh, or, or, or an evident material success in front of them is probably that concept of prayer which connects them and gives them faith. Because this whole conversation started with, <clears throat> like you see people suffering. Mm. And I feel with any form of spirituality, uh, if you want if you want to progress spiritually, you have to go through trials and tribulations. There's no element or there's no one who's very strong in their faith that will say to you, yeah, for me, I had no trials and tribulations. I literally just fulfilled all the rights and every day was like amazing. That's like false because every, like, I mean, you only have to look to the lives of the prophets who these religions were released to. They were probably went through the most difficulties and the most trials and tribulations. Yet their faith or their living relationship with God has allowed them to stay on the course of what they were, what was meant to be. And I feel with us as well, is that when we go through these trials and tribulations, actually it's interesting that I was speaking to someone yesterday and um, it's part of like my role as a counsellor. And like it's so difficult because when someone's going through a difficulty, they're always like, you victimise yourself a bit. You say, look, well, this happened and this happened to me and finally I was in a place and all of a sudden this happened. And I was like, yeah, yeah, listen, you need to look at the cup half full rather than half empty. And I think when you start looking at it from that point of view, that you, you still have so much. You still have so much, mm. yeah. It's one of those things. It's like, um, there's a saying that says that when it comes to like worldly things, look at someone who's less fortunate than you because it keeps you grateful for what you have. And when you look at spiritual uh, accomplishments, look at someone who's better than you because it allows you to drive to be better spiritually. It inspires you, yeah. And that is so true. It's like, how many times have we seen something online like this is the thing with TikTok and Instagram I, I personally I'm I, I'm not online like I think someone once made a Twitter account for me posted something and after that it's never been used and I think I need to find a way to delete it but I find it difficult to be active in a place that's not real like mm. for me social media is a whole world it's not real like that's not you a know, real place you know Shamsi was saying earlier about um, people go online to like be connected and stuff and you mentioned mm. about how prayer is connected but then also we can argue that um where you go to these villages uh, where social media is not on, uh, not a thing or even if it is a thing it's not going to be as popular as it is in these yeah. western worlds they are more connected even socially yeah. than we are over here yeah, like even when I went to El Salvador mm. I was in a village there for 10 weeks and like similar issues in terms of uh, living and working and like for example even every day we'd walk about 2 miles to a village on the way and then 2 miles back and like where we were working in the village there was absolutely no concept of um, yeah. social media but the connection there the real life human connection is yeah. incomparable to the connection over here so even over here if you say oh, yeah I've got social media to stay connected with the world yeah. this is not connection go to yeah, the villages yeah. you'll see connection no but that's what I'm connection. saying that the, um, there, um, are, there are many benefits of social media yeah? Yeah. and I think one of them is that you get that ground reality of what's happening so for this is what's happening in the world the conflict that's happening now is a huge example of the fact that the media might sell you one narrative but the ground reality might be totally different yeah. before we never knew the ground reality yeah. you just have to believe you have to believe what they're telling you mm. now it's like well forget what they're saying on the ground look this is what's happening that's one huge benefit but Definitely. like I said like you said building connections 
the people with the most followers probably you're the right they're, yeah they're not connections the mm. followers just mean ad revenue for them and they get money mm. for having the more followers they have so it's like to live in this like fake world <coughs> and really worry about what people think about you and what someone's saying about you and trying to connect with someone on your phone is so for me it's, you're right it's not a real connection yeah. it's really no, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you know social media is um, whilst it, it has it's good it's you know it's made us all sort of unsociable yeah. I'm sure that's mm. already sort of a meme out there somewhere, mm. but I've trademarked it now. Yeah, social, <laughs> social media is unsociable. Because it's true, isn't it? Like, you've just proved it as well. Socially like, we, unsociable. We, yeah, exactly. Like, um, it has sort of glued us to our phones and mm. technology, but actually those, you know, the, the meaningful sort of relationships that you're having, I don't think it really has any, if anything, it has a negative effect on those. Um yeah yeah it's it's crazy but the thing is that it's so attractive to some people that it gets worrying sometimes can I ask something like we're all, we're all parents here yeah? and I want to come back to that question about like putting your children through hardships or like how nice would you make your life for them how nice would you make their not your life but their life how nice like say you have an option to do something quite easily for them mm. would you be like nah you're not doing that oh, yeah, you're going to go through it the hard way because I actually find myself doing that actively because I know you say it's innate right it's, it is innate for us to want, want to protect our children <laughs> actively to give, stopping yourself actively making them do something a bit more difficult for okay, example yeah. a very basic thing a very very basic thing it's like when they're eating yeah or when you want to feed them or you want to like give them a snack or whatever um some parents tend to turn the tv on i actively mm. i know i don't care how much you struggle i don't care how much you cry the tv's not on because i think about okay how was it back in the day to distract a child or to get them to eat they wouldn't have had to have like TV and stuff and we know TV is not good for children mm. so I actively even though that's a that's a, that's a luxury for children they want to enjoy it and it's also a luxury for us because it makes our life easier they're just sitting down quietly we can feed them I actively choose not to turn the TV on and feed them the hard way wait till you have your second child okay cool <laughs> no, but are, are you the one feeding? yeah sometimes he's yeah. the one eating sometimes <laughs> this is the, no but this is the thing okay as parents yeah it's like now it's like winter time every child that I see is ill yeah yeah so if I, I get that hot like I understand your that's viewpoint. a very I'm just giving no, a very basic yeah, example very, and I get that but the thing is what the way I see it is this is like I see my child like daughter a very limited amount of time during the day yeah I leave in the morning come back in the evening after evening prayer so I see her maybe a few hours every day so in those few hours if I've come home and I don't know the level of difficulty that my missus has gone through the whole day and I come home and in those two hours I act like an expert don't know you have to do this mm. without like kind of disregarding all it of her effort unfair, it, it's yeah. a bit un it's just insensitive yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's why I would say like if for example she's been through a real tough day trying to feed her look after her and then I come home and uh, put my own kind of uh, what do you call it? Uh, Your method. My methods, yeah. and I try to force my methods. That no, 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 I don't care what struggle this child has to go through. <laughs> TV's off. TV's off. I feel that's a bit like yeah, you're right. Like I think then what you're doing is ultimately it it, it just causes frictions between you and like your partner who you're trying to raise a child with. Mm. So I feel it depends on the situation. Like yeah. yeah, if you're if you're the person who's majority looking after the feeding, mm. and that's the way that you rule that you want to set 
By all well, means, go for my it. example was just what? a very basic example. I'm talking about feeding. I'm talking about generally. No, I, I understand what you're saying. Generally, would you put that? Like, I mean, you lessons on feeding. I mean, <laughs> I mean, throughout their childhood, yeah. up until they're adult, yeah. even when they're adult, maybe. Yeah. Like my dad does this till now. He goes, if you have an option to go through a harder, to go through something harder, it's better for you. Yeah. Even uh, one simple example is like when we're driving. He's like, you don't need heated seating. <laughs> he goes, it's just. A, I don't remember what his argument was. He goes, he goes. Wait, so when, he got no. He, his his point was. He goes, when life is made too easy for you, you become weak. Mm. This is what he said to me. Mm. And um, my question is, would you make yeah. your children's life slightly harder just to make them appreciate what they have and make them more resilient? Now, I, 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 I get what you're saying. And, uh, I, I, I res- you know, you can only respect the fact that there are values that yeah. each parent want to instill in their children. Um, like the, me saying, wait till you have your second. Me, basically, was saying that they're... they're there's certain battles you have to pick, yeah. uh, which are worth fighting for, for me anyway. Yeah. Uh, there's certain... Th- I know I can't fight against technology. There's only so long I can say you can't have a phone, yeah. but two years later when they got the phone, they're going to do exactly what they yeah. were going to do two years before. So, yeah. you know, there's certain things that it's, we're so up against it mm. that I'm not sure how much value we actually get in fighting it. But in terms of those values, yeah, I completely agree. I think my dad's the same, and, you know, all of our parents are probably the same, that they, they want us to have you know some sort of old school mentality and and a level of strength but the fact is is that we live in such we live in such comfort yeah it's so hard to force them to discomfort yeah, into yeah, your yeah. life to teach yeah. you what yeah. comfort really means yeah. it's so difficult yeah. to do that and that's why when yeah. you go to these countries that we've all been to that lesson you learn within the blink of an eye is way more than, for okay, example, not turning on heated seats or, you know, using <laughs> these smaller methods, which I, I get it. I appreciate it. And but in answer to your question, yeah, I would love to. And I do try to, wherever I can, make it's sure, you know, my kids the only I think the only difficulty it. with that method is, yeah, and I think in this day and age more than ever, because if I, if I look at my parents' life or their, their kind of way of living, it was like there was no social media. There was nothing. It was like your dad would leave for work in the morning. You don't see him till the evening, and that's the relationship. He gets one day off a week, if he's lucky. If he's not got two jobs, so like your relationship with your dad wasn't like my relationship with my dad might not have been as like a friendship level one, but it's very much like a protector provider, which what it what it is. That's what a husband's and father's role is. Mm. Whereas now I feel like where the world is gone, as part of a father, one of the most you can say important roles that you need your father to be there for is as a friend. And I feel as you, if your dad is there as a friend, uh, but that's where like then these things sometimes can divert. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you blurry. know you talk about my friend and you're telling me that I can't do this and I can't yeah. do that. So it's like where I feel it. For me, like for example, I only use my own example. I was blessed with the daughter after seven years mm-hmm. and I kept thinking I was like, when she was born, like I, I didn't know like would I, I didn't want to be one of those parents who you now I've got a daughter or a child and this child is now means more than anything to me and I thought no no this shouldn't be the case because I've had this child for God's sake and I'm going to love this child for God's sake mm-hmm. not for the fact that she's just my child mm. and when you do that I feel that's where the blessing is and I keep thinking like the best thing I could pass on to her isn't like make her a savings account that shows her she's set I feel that stuff is like money will come and go mm. opportunities will come and go in your life I feel like if I can get to get her to a point where she's on the right path and she's thinking in the right way because I can't be I think I remember reading something where His Holiness once said that you'll come a true believer once you have a child 
because you realize there comes a time in this child's life where you're not present all the time like when they go out you don't know what they're doing who they're talking to what conversations they're having what they're being influenced by then like the power of prayer in your heart really you start meaning what you say when you say god this is my daughter please look after her protect her guide her always be with her so that can really make you a believer so if i can instill those traits into her like for example we were all um devoted as children yeah we were part of that scheme where your parents were so that was number one for me that i've got to make sure that my daughter is in that same scheme because i feel like this scheme was a huge blessing for me it allowed me to make the decision that I made. Life, yeah. second it's like okay do you know what it's prayer if i could just through if i could if i could pass any investment onto her it's like well prayer is such a it's the most powerful and valuable thing we have in this world huh. rather than me saying here's uh 20 grand you're what? set like start grand. something <laughs> no i'm not saying that but what value is that <laughs> going to be like, it's not for me that that's more important and yeah, just yeah. being a friend for her definitely uh, so that if and when she needs advice i think she'll turn to me i think another sort of force of nature mode we have to fight against in regards to sort of toughening up our children is this sort of supernatural concept called grandparents it's very <laughs> difficult <laughs> to implement only I, I promise you yeah. My, like you know just as a hypothetical example if my dad wanted to toughen me up he'd be like you know go outside without shoes and socks off stand in the snow <laughs> the minute I walk back in and say let me do the same to my son he'd probably kick yeah, me back yeah, out and yeah, never yeah. let my son do it because yeah. that's how grandparents are you know mm-hmm. we live in an era where you know they just no matter what <laughs> rules you try and implement yeah. but that's a huge blessing as yeah well, it's man. a huge You're blessing that's what I mean but it's so hard to like did you, you grow, know, around, grow up with par- grandparents around? no I didn't but I now see the value mm. of my children growing up around my parents and my wife's parents and like it's amazing like I wish I had something like that I didn't mm-hmm. but you know the softness that they come with the friendship that they bring is completely different to what a parent does yeah. entirely different they say that grandparents um, have a chance to do it again and, or do something do things differently yeah, do when they have, yeah, 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 yeah. so when they probably have been strict on you or tough on you and that they look back on it and they feel bad they try and like compensate that with being extra yeah. nice and soft with your grandchildren the thing is it's um it's weird because like you know my brother you both know my brother I've got this thing that I would always want to annoy a child yeah like my nieces and nephews I always just annoy them like I'll I'll do something to just get under their skin if they've taken something I'll give that to me let's share come on my brother okay it really gets to my brother my brother gets so annoyed but the thing is he doesn't realise that I know that I'm probably that like when for example we're two my nephew's got two uncles we've got two brothers and if you ask him well, who's your favourite uncle he'll always say me mm-hmm. like, nah, you're my ch-. he goes you're my favourite uncle not, not him not him you're my favourite uncle and I say to, and my brother always used to say to me he goes oh, you wait till you have your child and watch it'll be different and I'm like no not really like I'm going to annoy my one even more like she's going to get even more <laughs> so it's one of those things you're right it's, uh, when, it's, when it's yours sometimes also you feel like you the need of putting more bubble like wrap around yeah, it because yeah. it's such a precious thing yeah, yeah. and no harm no one should look at it the wrong way talk to it the wrong way well, I feel sometimes like we forget that even like, for example, we there was this time in our, even now we feel sometimes that we know better. Mm. Yeah. Like our parents can give us advice. People go, you think, no, we know better. So our kids are going to think that as well. It's the sad reality. You know, something you mentioned earlier, yeah, <clears throat> and it is something that I've only recently been trying to remember even more that our children are not our belongings. 
they belong to God at yeah, the end of the day, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. whatever we do, whenever we have like, oh yeah, I want to do this for my child, I want to do that for my child, we have to think, okay, cool, but what is going to be best for this child in the eyes of God? Yeah. And you mentioned that, and I think that's very powerful. It's something that we have to kind of like actively reconcile and think, okay, even though I want this for my child, mm. I have to think, okay, what I'm doing for my child, is that going to be better for him spiritually? Is that going to be what God wants him, God wants for him? Yeah. And I think it's something that, you know, we have I to I think it really even goes, that there's so many topics that you can like come out of this topic, but even with regards to like being in a relationship mm -hmm. I think like sometimes obviously from an Islamic point of view the purpose of marriage is to procreate mm -hmm. now saying that it might sound you might not understand it but when you have children you realise that yeah having a physical relationship with someone like a partner it gives you momentarily, momentarily happiness and uh, temporary happiness and joy but the reality is that's not a real relationship because there comes a time if there's just two of you you realise that okay what's next like in, in terms of our journey of being together what's next and I feel like with children that is next but the thing is where you think about your own needs and desires and don't think about the end goal of having children and raising them right way. That's where like so many relationship issues and like people, unlawful acts, mm. uh, people start committing sins, for example, like for, for us, there is no element of like having a relationship in that manner. Mm. Um, we get married, there are uh, ways that we, or tradition, not traditional, but you could say Islamic ways of us meeting our partners. Uh, and I feel like with this society, sometimes that is also one huge hurdle that presents itself yeah. because you see so much online and on TV programs and movies, you feel like that relationship, that's the most important thing in your, of your relationship, just you being happy and your partner being happy. Yeah. When actually no one thinks about it, like, oh, actually, I want to have children. Yeah. And to have children, I need to make sure I have the right partner, somebody who can raise the child. Yeah. And I'm sure you're... Women probably think the same thing. That yeah. I want a man. But this is it. You you can't right. live someone else's version of happiness, which is what you see online, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Someone else. This is the issue. Has with a completely. Yeah, yeah, this is the issue, right? Someone else has a completely different upbringing, uh, different uh, material opportunities, different, you know, levels of wealth or whatever it is. And sometimes on social media, you just see, like, the perfect marriage or the perfect children perfect holidays and yep. you you can't align yourself with that you have to live you know your reality yeah um you know whatever that is but yeah i think um you're right i think social media distorts that um and probably brings about more problems in that sense yeah and you sh uh, again but come back to your point um it's very true that you know our life majority of it is something this is something that i've thought about for the last few years that a majority of our life when we look at roles that we play if you look at the traditional sort of lifespan and what we do for our lives, majority of our lives, we are being parents. If you think about the first, like, what, 20, 30 years, we're just growing up, we're, like, you know, learning about the world. And in the rest of the, uh, our time, we have parents or grandparents. And these are some of the most pivotal and, like, biggest roles that we can play. And, uh, you know, they're so important that, that that's why you have to be on the same page with your partner to make sure that you can have the best yeah. sort of uh, parenting. I think this is, this is you know, like, it's a spot on. This is also why Islam puts great emphasis on youth yeah. um, and the upbringing of youth and, you know, um, but also the elderly mm -hmm. because of what they've been through in their life and how they've helped shape um, you know the the previous generation and the value and the respect that they deserve. Yeah, absolutely.
No, it's an interesting um, discussion. I guess this is a topic that you can go on. Um, but yeah, it's. I guess your experiences mold you. Uh, and I feel like sometimes if you feel it's not necessary that someone has the same experience as you doing the same thing and I feel that's what sometimes gets to us that if we feel that we uh, lived our life a particular way mm. and these were the hardships uh, and of those hardships this was very good because it defined who I was but this was bad because I suffered uh, that doesn't automatically mean that someone else who's been through the same experience you have will have the same outcome they might have a different outcome and I think that's important that we all are individuals and we have our own experiences but it's how we tackle them and I, I guess it, look we started this conversation of self-reflecting um, and for me I'll end it with that same thing that prayer is such a tool that it can humble us when we feel that we've achieved anything it can keep us um, faithful that there will be better days and they can keep us on the right path uh, when we feel that, you know, like we've been praying for a particular amount of time now to, to be consistent. So there's no avenue in which prayer doesn't play a key role in helping us live um, a comfortable life. Because when I say comfortable life, I don't mean in a world, physically, physical world point of view. I mean comfortable in terms of you're in the right state of mind. And I feel like that's the best luxury to have, like regardless, because like we see so many stories of people who are millionaires, billionaires, but they going through so many difficult mm. like mental health issues. They're lonely. They, uh, I think I read an article about C CEOs. Like there are CEOs, they are the most uh, vulnerable people when it comes to like mental health issues, because they're so like stuck in their way to like, n nothing's enough for them. They want to continue striving to uh, get more. So for me, like when you say comfortable. That's the best thing. Like, comfortable me means being content and understanding the purpose and how to fulfill that purpose in life. And, and and to show true sort of dedication to this topic, Mo has taken away the luxury of his seat and his standing. What you just said there is, is quite interesting, actually. I was watching this um, podcast recently about the guy was talking about, um, you know, CEOs and all these yeah. um, you know, people who are sort of super wealthy and how they're super unhappy. Because they don't have actually that freedom of conscience. They don't, and I think maybe we'll go into some of this in the sort of next segment um, or, or the last segment. But yeah, they, they're, they're continually they're continuously controlled, right? Um, their days are set out in a set way. They need to hit certain markers, and they don't have that freedom uh, or even control over their own actions. Whereas, I suppose what you what you were saying is that you know that that the ability to, you know really self-reflect stop slow down uh I really appreciate with those things that mean something in life that isn't necessarily uh trying to be as rich as possible or yeah. as i said you know trying to have like the best car or the biggest house because those things ultimately as you said there's always going to be another goal the goalpost will always move and it'll always be now i need a bigger house or now i need a better car or a newer car i need a newer phone so those things don't bring you satisfaction i suppose the ultimate satisfaction yeah. is when you can build that relationship with, I suppose, your creator. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, yeah, I think prayer is is one of those things, I think, again, like it's, we've heard it so many times that we don't value it. And you only really value it when you practice it. And, and I'll just say this last point, then we move on, that our faith is based on 
experience and practice rather than theory. So you could be listening to us thinking that, yeah, we've said prayer and this and that, and yeah, we pray in our own way. But wholeheartedly, if you understand the concept of prayer, the beauty of prayer and the power of prayer, and obviously every faith has its own methods, but as Muslims, to devote yourself five times a day, uh, but meaningfully, not like just as a tick box exercise, but to do it five times a day uh, and to do it wholeheartedly <coughs> where you can relate to God everything that's happening is such a powerful tool um, and it can really, really change one's life. All right, that was um, uh, an interesting discussion. Let's move on just to some news stories um, before we go to the actual 11 o'clock news. One thing I wanted to present before you was history, if you saw it. I don't know how many of you witnessed it. Saw history? But the, yeah, yeah, we, well, witnessed, to mention. we witnessed history. Yeah, and it was the innings that Glenn Maxwell oh, wow. uh, did against Afghanistan. Now that... You know what? That match here, when that started, I was like, wow, Afghanistan really got a chance here. That if they beat Australia, then they've got one foot in the semi-final. And when the when the score was, I mean, he came... That 90 it was 49 for four when he came. It was 49 for four when he came. And then it was 91 for seven. Even then, I was like, it was him and Lamashane were batting. And Lamashane's a really good batsman. And at that time, I thought, even if both of these guys get a century, they're still going to lose this match because then you need someone to finish. And then this guy just went out of... Like, I've never actually... And the, I'll tell you how much how, how much it affected me. I was actually... You know when you see a World Cup, you start having these discussions that who's your all-time eleven. So in my team, I'm thinking... I, I've got, I started making a team. I was like, okay, who are my two all-rounders? Because I've I can only go by what I've seen. I can't go like twenty yeah. thirty years. But, but of this generation, definitely I'd have Ben Stokes, because what he's done is amazing. He's given me so many amazing memories. But second, I wouldn't know who to have. Then I saw this guy do this. I <laughs> <laughs> Maxwell, but two hundred runs in an innings. That is unbelievable. And to do it in the condition that he was in, where oh, he was having bowled ten overs. He, he bowled ten overs. He said, I was getting hot and cold. I then started to get back spasms. I then started to get cramps. And his cramps weren't like, uh, that like you could tell like how his body stiffed up and he just, fl- like he just dropped to the ground. We play cricket, yeah? How many times when we play cricket when we get out, we're like, oh, I didn't move my feet. Or I was leaning too much. Or I, di- I didn't do this. There came a time in this guy's innings where he didn't, he move, didn't anything. move anything and all he did was move his hands <laughs> he just rotated his hands and the ball was getting launched for six and I was I lost my mind thinking wow that's unbelievable I think really we, we can't speak highly enough about it the guy scored 200 runs single handedly they say that cricket's a team sport and you have to build in innings different people come in to play a role but this guy for the first time I've seen him and Ben Stokes I think Ben Stokes that performance in the test against Australia mm. where he single-handedly uh, you know won that particular match this guy single-handed and he did it on a World Cup stage this is the thing it's not just like a regular visit to another country you're not touring on a World Cup stage a place for, in the semi-final is up for grabs and my one of my favourite all-rounders now <laughs> went and hit 200 that was amazing Amazing innings. Yeah, no, it was. I think watching it was something special as well. Um, yeah, I think as you said, you just you just didn't expect it. But 
there was nothing the bowlers could do to stop him from literally hitting sixes, smashing mm. them out of the park. No, it was really, really I think that probably ball. will go down as um, the greatest innings uh, in World Cup history. Because, uh, again, it, this is one of those things you think has never been done before. I don't think it would ever be done again. I mean, literally, you could tell it was his day and nothing that they could have done or thrown at him would have got him out. Mm. I mean, you would have thought... But again, this is where I feel it's a bit of inexperience from us, Afghanistan's point of view. That if you know you've got a player who can't move... You know, normally, if you're a really good bowler, you know this guy's not moving his front foot or he's not... He's a bit... He can't go on his back foot. You bowl a particular way to get him out. Mm. Now, here you've got this guy who's... T- he can't move. Mm. But you're bowling in a way where he's like hitting you for a reverse scoop and he's not even moving. <laughs> there was that one six he did a reverse like... Oh, it was amazing. Of, it was amazing, yeah. In other sports news, <laughs> Messi won the Ballon d'Or for how many times? It was... Um, eighth. Eighth time. It's now, eighth this... Time. Um, Bump. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This kind of raised uh, a lot of discussions. And uh, eyebrows as well. A lot of eyebrows and discussions. Whether he actually deserved it. And I'll go around the room asking who would you have given the Ballon d'Or to? I'll start with you. So I think um, he got got the Ballon d'Or ultimately because he won the World Cup, right? Yeah. But then if we look, okay, cool. Outside of the World Cup, what else has he done? Yeah. He was playing at PSG for partial part of the year. Yeah. And then he went to America. Yeah. Uh, at PSG, <clears throat> he didn't do amazing. I don't know. I can't remember what they won, but it wasn't something outstanding. But then if you look at other players, like one that stand out is obviously Haaland. Haaland went to City and they got the treble. Yeah. Got the Champions League, they got Premier League. And um, what else did they get? Is that F- no, F- FA Cup? F- yeah, FA Cup. Now, to do that... And Haaland was absolutely instrumental in that. Over 50 goals in the season. It just didn't make any sense to me that he didn't get it. And it's, uh, for me, it was a complete robbery. Same way, uh, same way that Lewandowski a few years ago got completely robbed as well after he got the most goals um, at, uh, in the Bundesliga. Yep. And again, Messi got it that year as well. I just thought it was a complete robbery. I feel like with... So Messi's... Um, but then Haaland also said that he's... Uh, it could be wrong, but what I saw was Haaland said he's not going to bother coming. Like, if you can get over 50 goals, get the treble as well, and not get the Ballon d'Or, he goes, what's the point of me coming? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, though. What, else, can what he, else does he need to do? What else can <laughs> exactly, he do, though? Yeah. In his career, he's probably thinking, what else can I do? I can't win any other trophy. He can, obviously, with the international medals, but he, the team that he plays for... Norway. Norway is not as kind of... Um, highly performing yeah. especially in the international duties so I mean with Messi it's like he's he. Well, I was going through his list he's 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012 then 2015, 2019 and 21 and now obviously he's won it in 23 as well I feel with Messi it's like I guess the if you look at it from the other point of view it's this that here's one person who will always be in the conversation of the greatest of all time. Yeah, Messi. Messi and Ronaldo. I think that whoever it would have been, if Ronaldo had won the World Cup, he would have won the Ballon d'Or. Like, I feel like with these two, if any one of them wins something that they're expected to win, or by them winning, it kind of cements their place as, yeah, one of the greatest of all time. If they achieve that, then most likely they will probably win that award. This award is based on opinion. Like, it's not factual, I don't feel. Like, we make it factual by saying he's won so much, yet he didn't get the reward. And I think we forget sometimes that this is just one of those awards where different people get a vote and depending on what that person's looking at. It's like boxing judges. Like, sometimes you feel like you're watching a fight 
the result is clear, but yet, like, all referees have different results. Um, and I feel with this Ballon d'Or thing, it's the same thing that, like, different whoever's voting, they're voting with their own formula. Like, some people might be looking at facts that Haaland has scored this many goals, but some people might be looking at the fact that here's this one player, he's won everything except for international honours. Well, he's even won the um, that cup, that South American cup. What was it called? Copa de Oro. Is it Copa de Oro? I'm not sure. No, no, no the the equivalent, the equivalent to the Euros. The Argentina won it. Copa America. Copa America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. he he he's won that. South Africa. Uh, so, South America. I said. I say South. You said South Africa. I think, but yeah, Copa America. Is Copa America. Yeah, Copa America. They've won that. Portugal's won the Euros. So the only thing between him and Ronaldo really was the World Cup. So the fact that he won it and in in such an in a way where he was so effective. I don't know. I can see the argument of giving it to him. Uh, who do you think is the most exciting player right now? Right now? Yeah. I think Bellingham. Jude Bellingham at Madrid. Bellingham is very exciting. You're right. Because you never know. Um, but the thing is, what, like, if he hasn't scored in a few games, Who then Bellingham? it... I, I think he... No, no, I'm saying at the moment, the why, why, the why, he, why he's so exciting is because he's scoring in every game. Yeah. So the but moment... It's just a style of play. No, Who, but the moment, that, but, no. Fair, like, I don't I don't follow football like that, so I don't really know sort of the teams and players and stuff like that. But when I do watch Bellingham, yeah, he's he's so exciting. No, but this what I'm saying. Like, I feel like I, I feel like the reason why we're singing praise about him is because he's scoring, and he's young. So well, if he stops scoring, he's only twenty. If he stops scoring, yeah, then it'll be interesting to see what the media narrative will be. <laughs> Because at the moment it's just because he's scoring. He's an amazing player. I think Bellingham is amazing, but it's because he's scoring. The moment he stops scoring, it'll be and because he's not a striker. Strikers are in positions to score with midfielders. Yeah. The the day Madrid get a proper striker, he might stop scoring. I, t- I take it, and not he's not like Modric. Like you know, Modric. Modric if you watch Modric play, class. he doesn't need to score. Like how he plays, yeah, he class. just sets the game up. With Bellingham, he's scoring. That's his biggest. Like that's the biggest attraction to him. But no, I don't think it's just he's he's it, cool. It is scoring, but it's how he's scoring from midfield position. The way he's getting through, yeah, yeah, yeah. the way the, the, the runs that he's they, making, he's, the plays they're playing that he's him making. as a second striker. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like so, if you look at this list, yeah, Messi was first, Haaland was second. For example, if Haaland was in Madrid, no one would be talking about Bellingham. What, what's the criteria? What's there the criteria no, no, to the win? People, is this the issue? Like there's no... There's like... It's internal, isn't it? It's internal Yeah, voting, particular yeah. people get to vote. Then it should yeah. go to Hakimi for what he done with his, with his mum at the World Cup. <laughs> winning, like that, that emotional moment that he yeah. created. So if, you had, if you had to vote, yeah, you're well in your right to vote for it. It's emotional. But the top 10 was this, like... Uh, I'll go from 12 because we know the 12th guys well 12th was Lewandowski 11th was Salah 12th uh, 10th was Modric 9th was Bernardo Silva 8th was Victor Osimhen from he's a Nigeria striker plays for Napoli uh, Julian Alvarez was number 7 City player Vinicius Junior was number 6 Rodri was 5 Kevin De Bruyne was 4 Mbappe was third, Harling was second. Like half that half that squad is City. City, yeah. So it's that's what I'm saying. Now Messi's out of the picture. Obviously Ronaldo's out of the picture. If you look at the rest, it's City. Well, Harlan and Mbappe. Harlan and Mbappe are going to be there for a number of years. They're very young, yeah. Yeah. Kevin De Bruyne, I feel, got a few. Doesn't years get the yeah. He's got a few. He doesn't get that rating as well in terms of this stage. 
Rodri, I feel like he had an exceptional season. Mm. And I don't know if we'll be able to keep it up. Vinicius Jr., I feel, is amazing as well. He'll mm. be in the running. And of course, you add... Uh, what's the player's name that you mentioned Bellingham. Bellingham but the only other question is this like this is the media narrative now as well that ever since Harry Kane's gone to Germany oh, he's uh, did you see his goal no but he's scoring goals but the thing is you see how much like this being advertised yeah I've never seen um, Harry Kane on Sky as much when he was like when he was playing for Tottenham yeah no but even when he was at Tottenham he was no he's an amazing striker, striker. I, I think if he keeps going now yeah and Bayern Munich win the Champions League there's no reason why he can't win either Man, the, the sad thing about his career is that he got no silverware absolutely nothing and to be scoring that many goals a season yeah. getting I don't know how many golden boots he's got but like to be that good of a striker play for England as well captain England and then have yeah. nothing to show for it I'm just glad he can actually go to Bayern and hopefully have actually a chance of winning some silverware so I'm happy for him but his goal from half from behind the halfway line I don't know if you saw against Darmstadt um, 8-0 yeah. what a game and Musiala as well yeah Musiala he's really good as well really, he's really good, good. okay we're reaching uh, to the end of the first hour um, we're gonna go for a short news break when we come back we're going to talk on our main topic which is what is the soul join us after the break writings of the promised messiah salam. then arise and repent and win the pleasure of god through good works remember that the punishment of wrong beliefs is after death being a hindu or a christian or a muslim will be determined on the day of judgment but a person who goes beyond the limit and wrongdoing, transgression, disobedience, and vice, is punished in this life. Such a one cannot escape God's chastisement. So hasten to win God's pleasure, and before the dreadful day arrives, namely the day of intensity, of the plague of which the prophets have warned, make your peace with God. He is very benevolent. To the one moment of the repentance, that melts the heart. He can forgive the sins spread over 70 years. Do not say that repentance is not accepted. Remember that you cannot be saved by your deeds. It is grace that saves and not deeds. Benevolent and merciful Lord, bestow thy grace upon all of us. We are thy servants and have fallen down upon thy threshold. Amen. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. We welcome you to be charmed by the Poets for Peace show on the Voice of Islam, where you can listen to inspiring poetry sent in by listeners like you. And don't forget, this is your show. So let others know that if you have written a poem you wish to share, then you can send us your recording so it could be aired. And we look forward to being inspired. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَادْعُوهُ بِهَا يَا اللَّطِيفِ mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif, the benignant, by recalling how God was his friend, 
while his brothers conspired against him. According to the lexicon, Latif is a kind of gracious being, one who is benevolent to his creation, as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. A Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see Him. He is Al-Latif. He is unseen and illuminates the person He reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for Him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek Him and raises prophets to be their guide to Him. His light is manifested through His prophets as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the prophets of God, the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, disseminated this light the most. For it was he who had the most perfect perception of God, and it was he who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of his perfect and complete devotion and subservience to the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah on whom be peace. It is the attribute of Al-Latif that makes God the friend of his servants in all trials and tribulations. Just as the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him continuously prayed for the reformation of his Ummah as well as his opponents, as only Al-Latif can be the guidance and reformation. Al-Latif is the supporter of the victim, the voice of the oppressed. Al-Latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound. It is he who fills hearts with his magnificent light. Then should we not be grateful for the mercy of Al-Latif? alaikum and welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. Um, we are now moving on to our second or I say last segment of the show. And this week uh, we decided to discuss the soul. What is the soul? Um, you know, it, it's been a question sort of for quite a while, scientific sort of quests uh, around what the soul is and, and the proof around it. And we want to sort of understand what it means, what religion says about it. Um, what is it? There's various sort of words that people use for it. You know, consciousness. consciousness. I think the bigger question um, is, can we understand it? Like, yeah. It, what you know? How how do we understand it? How do we believe in it? But what are sort of the facts around it? And I think um, before we start our discussion, I think it'll be good for the listeners to. We've got a short clip um, which discusses what the soul is, and then we'll come back and we'll really sort of talk about. Uh, give some opinions and hopefully have a, an interesting conversation around it. 
The Promised Messiah explains that the soul does not descend from outside, rather reflection shows that the body is in actuality the mother of the soul. He explains that the soul is in fact like an imperceptible light which is already inherent in the sperm and shines forth as the fetus is gradually developed. He says that according to the Holy Quran, the soul is manifested from within the framework that is created in the womb. It does not come from outside. He states, and I quote, It is absolutely true that the soul is a fine light developed inside the body and which is nurtured in the womb. To begin with, it is hidden and imperceptible and later it is made manifest. From the very beginning, its essence is present in the sperm. It is related to the sperm in a mysterious manner by the design and command and will of God. It is a bright and illumined quality of the sperm. It cannot be said that it is a part of the sperm as matter is part of matter. Nor can it be said that it comes from outside or falls upon the earth and gets mixed with the matter of the sperm. It is latent in the sperm as fire is latent in the flint. The Book of God does not mean that the soul descends from heaven as a separate entity or falls upon the earth from the atmosphere and then by chance gets mixed with the sperm and enters the womb with it. There is no basis for such a notion. The law of nature rejects it. His Holiness also refers to verse 23 of chapter 15 in the Holy Quran in which God Almighty states, then we develop it into a new creation. So blessed is Allah, the best of creators. The verses before this in particular speak of the development of the human fetus and draw an analogy of how one's spirituality develops in a similar fashion. If you'd like to read more about this particular topic, I would highly recommend reading Barahina Ahmadiyya, Volume 5, which I'll link in the description below. Now, coming back to the point, in this particular verse, the development of the fetus is described as culminating with the birth of the soul as a new creation. His Holiness states, the affirmation that a new creation is manifested from the body is a mystery that reveals the reality of the soul and points to the strong relationship between the soul and the body. We are also instructed thereby that the same philosophy underlies the physical acts and words and movements when they are manifested in the cause of God. That is to say, all these sincere actions are charged with a soul as the sperm is charged with a soul. As the framework of those actions is developed, the soul with which they are charged begins to shine and when that framework becomes complete, the soul inside it shines forth in its full manifestation and discloses its spiritual aspect. At that stage, those actions become fully alive. 
This means that when the framework of actions is completed, something shines forth from it suddenly like a flash of lightning. What this means is that just as the initial birth of the soul happens with the development of the fetus, similarly, as we reform our natural and moral states in light of the divine will and forsake a purely materialistic life, a soul shines forth which is attributed to God. Now this divine light which was initially hidden or dim clearly manifests itself in the person who has perfected the framework of his or her actions. This then becomes an attractive force which pull those who have an affinity to goodness and light towards them. This is something which we can clearly observe and see in the lives of the previous prophets of God and most magnificently in the illustrious personage of the Holy Prophet of Islam, Muhammad وسلم, who was the seal of the prophets. And in this day and age, we as Ahmadi Muslims are so fortunate that we can also witness this in the caliphs of the promised Messiah والسلام, the Messiah of the Holy Prophet The promised Messiah والسلام, states, the truth is that the soul is developed in the body and this also proves that it is created and is not self-existent. Now what I mean to emphasize here is that the design of the Almighty who has created the soul from the body with his perfect power appears to be that the second birth of the soul should also take place through the body. The movements of the soul follow the movements of the body. If the body is drawn in a particular direction, the soul automatically follows it. It is, therefore, a function of the Book of God to direct itself to the natural state of man. That is why the Holy Quran pays so much attention to the reform of the natural state of man and gives directions with regard to every one of his actions, his laughing, weeping, eating, clothing, sleeping, speaking, keeping silent, marrying, remaining celibate, walking, standing still, outward cleanliness, bathing, submitting to a discipline in health and, and in illness, etc. It affirms that man's physical condition affects his spiritual condition deeply. Now to sum up, firstly, the soul is inherent and latent in the sperm just as fire is latent in the flint. Secondly, the soul is manifested from the framework that is created inside the womb. It does not come from outside. Similarly, our natural and moral state shares an intimate relationship with our spirit. And as we gradually perfect the framework of our actions for the sake of God, we start to attain peace, which can be described in other words as enlightenment, and the second birth of the soul takes place, which is manifested as an attractive force. Finally, to attain this stage, the Holy Quran directs our attention to reform our physical 
and moral states. That brings us to the end of this week's thefts. In the next video, we will continue to study the book, The Philosophy of... Thank you for listening to that. I think, um, you know, quite a comprehensive yep. um, explanation on what the soul is. Um, just getting into it, you know, I think many religions uh, believe in, in, in the spirit uh, this soul, which essentially is, you know, a spiritual identity or a personality of a person. It can sometimes be difficult to sort of explain or to prove, but I suppose, you know, the belief is that it exists just the way you would say the mind exists and you can't really sort of pinpoint what physical... Um, I mean, people associate it with sort of the brain and thinking, but actually, you know, the concept of the mind, or even when people say thinking with my heart and the decisions my heart, you know, it's this, you know, uh, it, it's just, it's this immaterial aspect of uh, a being, which I suppose we believe is connected to, you know, it has a close uh, connection with obviously the human, um, but also to God. Uh, and we in Islam obviously believe that we have the ability to sort of nurture yep. um, the soul and develop it in various ways. But even before we get in, into some of the sort of religious aspects of the soul, which we will do sort of more so towards the end of this conversation. But to you, to you guys, you know, to, to the question I suppose is what what do you believe or what do you feel uh, is the soul and what is this sort of? Do you ever question this? I suppose, you know, I'll tell you where this sort of came from as an, as an idea for me for the show is because we see what's happening in the world now. Um, and, you know, a lot of us look at the atrocities and sort of the, the failures of man uh, to prevent or even stand up for what we would essentially believe is right or wrong. And then the question comes on, well, Surely, right is something which is obvious to you, right? So, Mo and I were talking about this um, a while back. That you know, in Islamic literature, or you know, we understand that when something is wrong, you feel it within you. No one needs to tell you. Feel it in no your one, gut. Yeah, you feel it in your gut. Exactly. No one needs to say. I mean, we have guidance, but what I'm saying is that it, it, within you, you have a feeling of something is right and wrong. Yeah. And sometimes when we see what's happening out there right now, you you, you really question, do, do people not see it? Do they not feel it? Mm. And so then it goes on to what is conscience? Uh, what is, you know, consciousness, yeah. consciousness and conscience? Mm. Um, what is your sort of you know, I think moral being? And, and that's where it comes into, is there something else connected to us? And then whilst I started looking into, you know, there were articles which highlight that actually the soul is even closer linked to God. It, ha it brings attributes of God. But like anything... Uh, in life if it's not sort of if you, if the apparatus isn't used in the right way it sort of becomes devoid of those qualities more and more so mm -hmm. yeah go ahead you were. um i think you were saying uh, yeah so where you were talking about how you know we feel it in our gut i think that is an aspect of our soul or our being or something like something that is difficult to uh, perceive like you know as a uh, Murabi Sahib, the, the imam that was speaking there in the clip, uh, Tayyarabi was mentioning that it is something that is imperceptible. You can't perceive it. And as you were saying that, you know, we have that feeling, that gut feeling that tells us right and wrong. 
and the issue is that I think that I think Usman uh, Sabi can clarify if I'm wrong. <laughs> Look at that, me confused. But um, I believe in Islam, it does say that when you continuously go against what your gut says or that feeling of okay this is something wrong that feeling of guilt that first feeling of like this is bad I shouldn't have done it but when you continue to do it that feeling sort of sort of like diminishes it sub, sub, subdues a bit and it gets less and less and less and less it's the same way when they say when you murder or when you commit uh, when you commit murder and takes away a piece of your soul and the more you murder the more like you just like kind of ruin yourself so um yeah i think that uh, shams coming back to your question that when mm. people are committing crimes and committing sins and committing these atrocities the more they do it the further they are getting from away from their soul and like their sort of spiritual being or that's not their, their sort of spiritual self that tells them that this is wrong because the more you commit those crimes, the more you get stuck into it, and the further you get away from that gut feeling, that instinctual, that instinctive feeling saying, "This is wrong, don't do it." I feel like, look, um, <clears throat> obviously, our soul is something beyond our kind of physical bodies. Yeah. And um, to get a deeper understanding of, I think the question that you asked, we only have to look at what the Quran mentions uh, in context of the soul. So in the Quran, the whole uh, God Almighty states, and they ask thee concerning the soul, say the soul is by the command of my Lord and of the knowledge of thereof you have been given but a little. And then there's a number of verses that explain that, look, for example, every soul is pledged for what it has earned. There shall, uh, there shall every soul realize what I shall have sent on before and they shall be brought back to Allah, their true master, and all that they used to forge shall be lost to them. And then there's many many verses that every soul will know what it has brought forward. Mm-hmm. That you read these things and actually you understand the deeper meaning of the fact that our physical bodies will remain in this earth. That's just an outer show that we've been given yeah. to look after our souls. Yeah. Because when we leave this earth, I mean, look, what's the natural, what's the natural, um, you can say, procedure when someone dies, they get buried in the ground. Obviously, mm. other people have their other traditions of how they... Uh, commence a funeral but the, the average uh, you can say protocol is that you bury the physical body to the ground and does that mean according to the Holy Quran when you see all these the verses about the soul it's our soul that will get presented before God and every soul will know what it has brought forward so when you keep that in mind then keeping your original question in mind as well that when people see someone doing something wrong well, then it's a down to accountability and what you really believe in. Because if you really believe and your purpose in this life is to establish a relationship with God and you're going to be answerable one day, then you understand a deeper meaning of what soul is and how you feel that this is wrong. Mm. If that concept's not really there for you uh, and you don't believe that there's anything after this life, then the soul won't make a difference to you in the sense that you, you, you it obviously it doesn't mean you don't have a soul you have a soul but I'm saying the effect that it has on you of it kind of hinting to you that this is right or wrong uh, for the sake of God or you doing something about it rather it makes a difference to that because there are a number of like set narrations of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu says that a true believer or the strongest of believer is someone who sees something wrong and he physically stops it um, then if you don't have the strength to physically stop it at least verbally speak against it and if you don't have the strength to do that then at least think bad of it and pray and that's the weakest form of faith so these are obviously things that we do that our 
our soul will be answerable for kind of it's like the think tank to your physical body it's the engine to our car basically that sometimes it doesn't matter how nice the body of the car is but if the engine is no good then it won't yeah by merely just looking at it from an attractive point of view it will have some value but from running it and being reliable and trustworthy then it won't and it's the same with us as well that yeah physically we don't know we spoke about in the first hour like how people who have everything sometimes they're in such a dark place it's the same thing it's like if our soul has found its purpose and we understand that actually our soul is what's going to get presented before god um then you understand then you make a conscious effort to do things uh or prepare yourself in the best way for the next life then also like our physical properties can impact our soul as well right that's what that clip was also saying that how uh, our physical actions and our physical properties drive the soul in that direction as well 100% so it's like um it's like cleanliness being clean is a huge part of our faith mm. so it's a half of faith meaning that it's all good and well you knowing that your soul is going to get presented before god so it doesn't mean that we go to one extreme and we only start th- worrying about our soul and good deeds and don't worry about our physical body that's given to us. Mm. It doesn't go it works hand in hand. We have to make sure that we're physically in the right mind a uh, kind of right shape uh physically we're looking after because this body then is also a gift from God if you yeah. look at it from that point of view that this is a gift from God and one day we don't we have no saying when we're born and we have no mm. saying when we're going to die yeah. so this you can say gift uh amanat it's called in urdu in english property, it's property. Yeah. Uh, you know we have to look after it because God's given it to us in that way so to for us to truly progress spiritually <coughs> we have to understand the balance between our physical life and our spiritual life and realize that they go hand in hand it's not one particular thing if you understand your purpose then you understand of the reason of looking after yourself physically making sure that you're clean uh for example like prayer prayer is a key um practice in our life we do it five times a day we say we do it to protect ourselves from all other vices that are around us but you have to do it in a pure way in the terms of you have to be physically clean your clothes have to be clean you have to do ablution five times before before doing it so once you're physically clean then you can wash yourself spiritually and you can wash your soul otherwise if you're physically not not in any good condition and consciously you've not made an effort it's not that you can't afford it you just not made an effort you've got let's say uh your socks smell you've not bathed or you're not clean or you're smelling a particular way and you go to the mosque that element of prayer won't be as effective as it would be if you made a conscious effort mm. um is and it's no different in any other form of life like when you actually prepare for something the end result is a lot better rather than just turning up and doing something yeah it's very different you know this comes back to um this concept that René Descartes came up with he was a very uh, very renowned <coughs> philosopher I can't remember what years he was around but he came up with the idea of the mind body connection and that they were separated um and you know just talking about <coughs> just following up following on from what you said um there's this concept that is becoming more and more appar- apparent what well, has been apparent it was apparent in Islam over 1400 years ago and it's something that uh, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad um uh mentioned as well in his book the philosophy of teaching of islam that the mind follows the body and there's a lot of 
uh, you know, there's there's these practices and there's these teachings um, around the world right now where they say, yeah, just change your mind, focus on your focus on your thoughts, focus on focus on your mind, change how you think. And there's a lot of even therapies that talk about how you can alter your thinking. However, if you actually physically do an action, if you physically are in in motion, that is more powerful in impacting your mind than actually just trying to sit there and think, okay, let me change how I think, let me change how I think. Like the, uh, the Prime Society mentions this in, in the book, Philosophy of Teaching of Islam, that when you, know, when, you are, when you want to cry in prayer, make the face of crying or pretend you're crying and you'll start crying for real. And it's so true, try it. If you start fake crying, you start crying for, you start crying for real. And actually now there's even... It shows therapy. the link, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was saying before, that the mind follows the body. If you do an action the feeling that you want to create comes after doing the action of it it's like when you want to go gym you don't feel like going gym you don't have the desire for it you don't have the energy for it but if you force your body to get up and go gym then the feeling of like yeah I needed to go gym comes after and um, now people are catching on to that idea and there's actually a, a therapy called laughing therapy I've mentioned yeah. it f- uh, before a few times where literally people gather in, gather in a room or a hall or whatever and the therapist at the front will start fake laughing then everyone catches on to that because it's quite contagious everyone starts laughing for absolutely no reason whatsoever everyone's laughing and at the end they did brain scans and they found that these people were uh, elated they were their, their emotions were um, elevated and they felt a lot happier after that therapy I mean there's no reason for them to laugh but they, f- they started laughing and they felt good because obviously laughing is a happy emotion so there is this connection that we've mentioned at the beginning of this hour that you know the, the, the connection is that our physical body pushes our emotional body and our spiritual body into a certain feeling so if you do something wrong if, you, if you're constantly doing a wrong action our soul and our, our mind will also follow in that direction as well if you do something good physically yeah, good I get but the, I, I, I think that reason is like if you knowingly do something wrong yeah it means you've made the decision that you're, you'll deal with the consequences yeah so here we're saying the Quran says that every soul will be answerable for what is mm-hmm. what is brought forward mm-hmm. it means deep down in your heart you're doing an action thinking yeah I'm okay with the consequences I mean you might not know the real consequences in terms of the bigger picture of how God would treat you according to your actions but according to what's in front of you you've made a conscious decision that I want to make I want to do this particular thing even though it might be wrong mm. so then obviously your soul won't tell you that it's wrong because you've decided mm. you're at peace with doing that particular mm-hmm. thing um, and I feel like, yeah, the first time you do something wrong or you take any element of risk, even if it's in something pure, you think about it, like you go over it like five, ten times. And that's like the inner struggle that we live in. That's like what true jihad is. Like you hear this word jihad. And it's not all just about fighting. The main form of jihad is striving and struggling against yourself to make sure you do always what's right in God's eyes. And that is where your soul comes into it because where you make a right decision let's say in your you sit down you reflect okay i need to do this even though it's harder but this is what god says is right and i'm gonna do it i think once you make that decision yeah that's like your your inner self has made that decision now you physically have to yeah implement it yeah i think that's just like one of the biggest battles of life isn't it i mean yeah. 
to do something wrong is so much easier than than to do something right. It's yeah. so much easier to fall into the to the traps or the vices of the world when it than it is to do what we are taught, which is uh, are the right things. Um, so then I think that's just the 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 battle that we have to fight. And the more we fight the battle, and the more we win the battle, the easier that becomes, and then the easier we then reach that state of soul um, that Islam talks about, yeah. the, the third state, soul at rest or soul at peace or soul at ease or something. Mm-hmm. That's it, or, no, I think, I think it's, a good, it's a good time yeah. to go into that actually. Um, before we go into uh, you know ways that we can sort of improve and work on and so on I think um, it, the the promise Messiah talks about the three human states which is what Mo uh, was alluding to and um, you know I suppose the question is uh, about the distinction between sort of the natural moral and spiritual states of man and the Holy Quran has distinguished between them and has indicated three uh, separate sources for each of them uh, the first one is um, what we would uh, call nafsi amara, which is the first source, which is the self that incites to evil. Yeah. Um, so this is this is your sort of at the most basic state of man, um, which incites him to, which al- allows his natural state um, to be sort of guided by your your, your desires, um, and um, you know that state which takes you away from sort of the moral conditioning that that man needs to be uh in and i think um so i'll just read something out as well it says until uh, man continues to follow his natural instincts in eating drinking sleeping walking anger and emotion um and so this is yeah uh, as i said at, at its most sort of basic state at the second stage uh, the state is what we call what we'd say is nafse luama uh, the self-reproaching uh, self. Um, this means uh, this is the second source of human state, and it gives birth to sort of a moral condition. And it's at this stage uh, where man is emancipated from his resemblance to animals. Um, it is the desire in this state that he should adopt good conduct, exhibit good morals, d- display no sort of intemperance. And that his natural emotions and desires should be manifested under the direction of ease. Um, so I think this is this is the state in which uh, man seeks to attain sort of moral qualities, um, and is disgusted with being sort of self-willed. Um, yet is not at the top, is not at sort of the peak sort of moral condition, and so cannot assert itself sort of completely. The third. Um, source which uh, we would we, we would label as nafse mutmaina. Uh, the Holy Quran describes it as uh, as nafse mutmaina is the soul at rest, um, and uh, you know the the Quran says, "O tranquil soul that has found peace in God, return to thy Lord, well pleased with Him, as He is well pleased with thee. Join my chosen servants and enter my paradise." I think this is the stage yeah. where uh, the soul is sort of delivered from all sort of weakness, filled with sort of spiritual st- yeah. strength, and has you know at that point developed a great sort of relationship with God Almighty and cannot live um, without Him. And it says that just as water flows downwards and rushes forth because of its sheer volume and removes all obstacles in its way, so does the soul flow uh, towards God in this state. Um, I think I sort of let you 
yeah. move on to the, you know the different ways in which we can purify the soul yeah you know i think it's a good way uh transition to move on to that exactly that exact point that you mentioned that how do we uh purify our souls but actually it's deeper in the sense that what is real success uh you know in this world where everyone's looking for success people were looking at different avenues but god almighty states in the holy quran chapter 87 verse 15 that verily he truly pos- uh, prospers who purifies himself now again this is such um something a lot easier said than done especially in a world as you mentioned that has so much immorality okay we don't have to look far to see what's happening in the world um where god almighty is saying that someone who verily that he truly prospers who purifies himself so the second caliph hazrat mirza hazrat muslim out hazrat mirza bashiruddin muhammad may god be pleased with him uh has provided practical steps to purify our souls and to attain lasting prosperity um and he defined it in 11 ways so there's 11 ways to purify your soul this is taken from a speech that he delivered uh at the annual convention uh on the 16th of march 1919 so the first point again these are all points that we can discuss mm. the first point is um uh, the first point is to remove all impure thoughts from your heart now the first requirement to purifying the soul is that one continues to remove all evil and impure thoughts from the heart now that's something it's so important and i guess that comes with self reflection yeah because you need to know like why is it that i am always falling for the same trap or why is it that i um you know intend something but actually something always happens the other way and i think removing all impure thoughts from your heart is the first step of understanding that okay it's have to get rid of this negativity and think about the positive mindset of what i require and what i want to do i think that that you, yeah that's a that's a good point you've raised it. that that negativity i think is so it's so natural to us now isn't it walking talking no matter what we do in our day-to-day lives um you know these thoughts naturally come into man um whether they be you know with, with a dislike for someone or dislike for something or your thoughts are driving you towards doing something which you you know is incorrect like it feels like this is so natural um in the life that you know the way we live our lives and i think yeah it's it's such a good point that actually you need to remove yeah. those thoughts first um but you know i feel like <coughs> to remove those uh thoughts i feel like prayer comes before that as well i feel like we have prayer five times a day yeah literally at every sort of interval or every sort of um you know yeah, periodically yeah yeah per- <coughs> but every so you got the morning you got just before sun uh, the the highest peak of the sun then you got a bit later on then we got before sun before sunset and then after sunset literally at every point main point during the day we are told to pray and then also yeah. on top of that we are told to pray voluntary prayers as well and the voluntary prayers is uh one before sleeping there's one after sunrise ashrak is it ashrak ishrak yeah. prayers yeah. then we got prayers every time we enter mosque we got prayer and additional prayers this, after yeah, so there's prayer for like every you can say action in your life exactly. but i think what we're talking about is a type, how, what type of mindset should you have that will yeah. help purify your soul of course 
prayer is yeah, something yeah. that you would implement all of these points to remove all well, I'm saying those thoughts. prayers when we if we follow it yeah. it helps it helps to remove those thoughts yeah you know it's, it's a good point because you know when you're when you're praying sometimes it's very difficult to remain focused and you have to continually try yeah. and get back on yeah. back on track back on focus but it, i suppose it, it, it kind of proves that how sort of how these thoughts sort of fly through us yeah. so naturally now that actually and if we're linking the soul to the subconscious um yeah. it basically means by removing those where things that are happening in the back or in the regressed side of our or you know in the background unconscious side. yeah we yeah. we need to make sure that those that area is clean but you know when it says remove all impure thoughts i feel like you know for example you're not masking those thoughts sometimes mm. these actions can just mask those thoughts and mm. you think okay just to not think about it I just have to do something else you have get to really of get rid okay, of them yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that's the Good difference that's, uh, that's the reason why that's interesting because that's actually a change of heart yeah because that's like say like you've got some enmity towards someone or they, that person done something wrong to you yeah the way to change your thought would be okay cool this person done something wrong yeah. maybe this person done something wrong because something wrong has happened to them mm. or they mm. were in a bad mood or they they done something and mm. that is actually thinking on another level yeah. and thinking okay. beyond what your natural emotions would be saying and trying to think logically and rationally yeah. and being mm. a bit more sentimental so let, let's go through so the first one obviously is remove all impure thoughts yeah. from your heart um and of course, this is not like a click of a like it won't happen at like a switch of a button. It takes time, and you have to continuously uh, remove all these evil, impure thoughts from your heart. The second one is to know what Allah likes and dislikes. So His Holiness says that one cannot purify his soul until he abstains from all evils and performs virtuous deeds. Thus, it is necessary that one gain complete knowledge of all these deeds that God dislikes and likes. The Promise of Messiah, Islam may peace be upon him, had made an index of all enjointments and prohibitions mentioned in the Holy Quran and on the Holy Quran which he used to recite. Now from this it is evident how much he cared for the execution of God Almighty's enjoyments and prohibitions. So this is one thing. Again, to remove all impure thoughts, you first need to also know what it is that's permitted, what's liked by God and what's disliked by God. Thirdly, I think just on that, I think that's why it's so important. You know, when people say you don't need religion, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, it's so important here to recognize this is why you need religion because you need to understand, you know, a moral compass is something different, but religion which guides you, um, to what is sort of how the world succeeds with the design of what God has put in. Is yeah. is so important, and it's it's that that you need to really understand, and, and that's where you understand what is it that God actually likes and dislikes, yeah. and and the reasons behind that. So again, so it's remove all impure thoughts. No, number two, know what God likes and dislikes, and then number three, make good deeds a habit. So His Holiness says that one should embed in their heart and continue to remember those deeds that cause one to attain purification, and vice versa. For those deeds that are con- constantly remembered are fixed and implanted into the heart. So he gives an example. He gives a, says that let's, let us assume there is an individual who is extremely short-tempered. He should at the opportune time reflect that I get angry very quickly. This is an evil deed. It is an obstruction to my spiritual progress. Hence, I shall never ever commit this deed. He should constantly remind his heart of this enjoyment to the extent that it embeds itself in his heart and he saves himself from this malady. So it's... Is a very good example, actually, that very someone who, someone who is 
very short tempered and that is such a common thing like people mm. lose their their mm. their cool sometimes very quickly but if you like this is such a ego thing that some say how dare someone speak to me like oh, of course I'm going to react or I'm going to do this but if you ever actually think of it from the other point of view that actually me reacting that way affects my soul and it's an obstruct obstruction of my spiritual progress hence therefore I'm not going to show this reaction again mm. that is such a different way to look at this mm. point of view because mm. nine times out of ten like I always have conversations with like why did you do this or why did you get into an argument it's like yeah because how dare he say this to me or how dare he look at me this way or how dare he do this to me and that's such a ego thing it like it's, it's just a me thing like well, how dare someone talk to me like that yeah. and what his holiness has said that actually make good habit being patient is not a bad thing yeah in the world it might look like you're a coward but actually you've spiritually taken one huge step towards god so again these points are amazing the first one i'll just go through them in order so that we're aware mm. remove all impure thoughts from your heart know what allah likes and dislikes make good deeds a habit the next one is consistency so you must be consistent in performing good deeds mm. um and god almighty states in the holy quran uh, and continue worshiping thy lord till death comes to thee so it's like not worship is a commandment isn't just that okay god said worship and i've done it no it's something that you have to continue to do until your last breath until your last yeah. breath and like you mentioned there's a prayer for everything and i think that in itself is just a reminder that god is always present like there's whether we feel that we've gotten away with something or we've done people are witness to something that we've done or not god is always witness to what we've done and whatever we do whether we feel that it's in hiding or in public our soul it will be presented to god and then we'll be answerable for those actions so it's um yeah he he with regards to this point i'm just trying to look at whether there's an example that we can present His Holiness just mentions that there must be consistency in worship. It should not be that one performs their worship for a period of time and then ceases. In doing so, whatever was attained previously would not render any benefit. So God Almighty has declared, And be not like unto her who, after having made it strong, breaks her yarn into pieces. So this is an example of the of the Quran that God has given as well. So it's this point is so true, and I think even there's so many fields of life that can you can relate to this where inconsistency kind of is, is is our downfall and i think even with prayer we will mention that prayer is the answer we know that prayer is if we do it it can safeguard us from everything but actually how many of us can wholeheartedly say that the prayers that we do like in the month of ramazan for example our day-to-day prayers of that level or our devotion that we show in the month of ramazan our day-to-day devotion is of that level it's yeah. not like that's the sad reality and this is where consistency comes into play that in the same way that we do that in the month of ramazan knowing because the the blessings that are attached that month we're fully aware and conscious of the fact that this is the month where god has shut the hells of uh, the doors of hell the gates of hell and the doors of paradise are open we will make an effort an extra effort but then outside of that month sometimes it's so easy to be inconsistent so i'll go through the points again remove all impure thoughts from your heart to know what Allah likes and dislikes three make good deeds a habit four be consistent in what you're doing five keep righteous company and now there are so many matters that one cannot understand without a teacher and it is thus necessary that he have a teacher to help him understand these matters god almighty declares that o ye who believe fear Allah and be with the truthful and his holiness further 
elaborates that you should remain in their company so that you become strong. Hence, it is immensely important that one benefits from a perfect teacher. The chains of reformer, reformers, saints and perfect believers continues in every era. When they cease to exist, then God, God raises a prophet. So one should thus benefit from them. And as a student cannot study from books himself, he needs a teacher to learn. Similarly, one cannot attain spiritual ranks by himself and needs a teacher to learn. So obviously for us, as Muslims, we believe the perfect role model is of the Holy Prophet Muhammad. May the peace and blessings of God be upon him. But keeping righteous company is so important. Um, you're known by the company you keep. Yeah. This is such an old saying. Mm. Like You're known by the company you keep. Uh, and it's so actually I, I've witnessed this actually myself that there are people I know who I haven't seen for a particular time and when I see them their kind of mannerisms are different their thought processes are different and ultimately if you try to put your th finger onto it that like why it's because of the particular company that they've kept in that time you've not been with them and that makes such an well it has, it has a huge influence doesn't yeah. it so I think it's such a pertinent point for for us in the society we live in that it's so important to um, to stay around or to keep a circle of friends who you know ultimately can 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 influence you to do good and prevent you sometimes you know man does slip and if you have the right people around you then you know you you ensure a level of protection with with one another you know they say even psychologically um you end up being a mold of the five closest people around you. And mm -hmm. it is so true. Honestly, if you have like five people around you who you are always around and you're always in conversation with, you'll see that your mannerisms, the way you talk, some of the things that you say, kind of start, you start mimicking each other without even knowing it's very subconscious. In that same way, like, you know, our actions will start following the, the group that we're with. So it is very interesting. I actually did want to talk about some other stuff, but I don't know how much time we have. Um, I'm looking at Shams whether you actually want to get into like the science behind it or um, the consciousness. If we can finish this. Through, I won't go into detail we then. I was come. trying to go through each point yeah. of detail. So, all right. Um, I'll just read the 11 points straight then. So yeah. one, remove all impure thoughts from your heart. Two, know what Allah likes and dislikes. Three, make good deeds a habit. Four, be consistent. Five, keep righteous company. That's why we've done it. So I'll just read through the rest. You can read all of this. There's an amazing article written by um, Al-Hakam, which is an online platform established by the community. Uh, and it is there if you write 11 ways to purify yourself. So the next point, number six, is hold yourself accountable. It's such an important point that don't blame others for what's happening. Always look at yourself. Mm. Um, number seven, reflect upon Quranic injunctions to do good. Again, reflecting on what what God has said that we, is good. Number eight, be willing to accept your mistakes. Such a um, key point, isn't it? You know, sometimes, again, we're so quick to point out other people. We don't look at our own weaknesses and our own mistakes. And actually, very quickly, that's, it's quite humbling when you do that. Yeah. When you accept and recognize that you made a mistake, that's where you genuinely improve. Yeah. If you... Uh, if if there's the inability to accept you've done something you'll constantly look at others and there won't be sort of personal progress I think that's a very sort of important point the next point is to bear admonition with patience and tolerance um, and point number 10 is don't lose hope you know it, it's, not, it's not a race it is a marathon uh, and sometimes you see instant results sometimes you receive, receive results over time so you cannot be disheartened and lose hope and last point is to consider every sin as a major sin 
And I think that's such a key point as well, that sometimes we're like, well, such a minor thing that I'm doing. How much effect will it really have on me? But if your mentality is that actually everything that I'm doing, regardless of how small it may be, uh, it is a big is a big sin. Um, and there, there's many narrations that we can give as well, but I'll just give one narration uh, from the life of the Holy Prophet, may peace be on him. He was traveling somewhere and passed by a cemetery. And there he stated that the inhabitants of these two graves are being punished for what they considered to be a, a minuscule matter. But in reality, it was a serious matter. Um, and again, that that was just one example. And obviously, he goes into what they were doing, but it was something that they thought was so minute. But actually, they didn't know the effects of it. Mm. But the reality is, it's not to scare anyone. Rather, it's to feel that if you if you continue to do bad, it's because in your mind you've accepted that this particular thing it's okay. is it's so minor that it won't it won't matter. Yeah. I also feel like when you do those small things and you like disregard them as anything bad, they can snowball into bigger yeah. things. Yeah. It's like what we said before that you know your your soul becomes sort of immune. less. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it becomes immune to it. Yeah. What are your sort of the? You want to give the sun? Yeah, scientific? go for it. Yeah. Um, it's actually very very interesting and um it can go on for a long time but i'll try to mention it very briefly i think uh, at the beginning when the, the imam at the Arabi, so I've said that uh it's something that imperceivable literally like i can wrap this whole segment up by saying that science don't understand it <laughs> literally really? science does not understand it i mean there is so it, it, it kind of it depends whether you want to use the word uh consciousness in line with the soul and i don't know if that's something that we can do because as islam says it's not something that is we, we can perceive and, and in the quran it says that it's not something that we know about however when we look at consciousness or we say that someone's conscious not conscious someone's conscious it's like is that person aware mm. so for example when someone when you call the ambulance or something incidents happened someone's out or whatever first thing or one of the first thing <coughs> the, the, the people on the phone will say that is a person a person conscious or not so if you want to talk about consciousness, it's something that the mind actually is difficult to pinpoint. In the same way we, we look at thoughts and feelings and emotions, there are areas of the brain that work together to create those thoughts and feelings, like the amygdala and the hippocampus, all these areas work together to create those thoughts and feelings. However, you can't pinpoint a thought and a feeling. So it is very difficult. However, when you start thinking of um, certain conditions, right, and uh, certain situations that come about, it's very interesting to think, okay, cool, does this person have a soul? Is this person conscious or not? For example, there's two conditions that are very similar but different. When someone is in a vegetative state, they are completely, like, the only thing keeping them alive is the brainstem. The brainstem is made of the physical... Yeah, it's, brain, yeah. It's, it's, no, even, no, the thing is that even their brain isn't working completely because it's literally the very basic part of our brain that literally makes the automatic functions of our body, for example, the heart beating, mm. ma just makes that function, right? Okay. It's, it's, the, it's the pons, the medusa, medulla oblongata, some other things. And when someone is in a vegetative state, anything coming from outside isn't even received or perceived by the brain. For example, they did these tests and they found that if you talk to someone in a vegetative state, they're not their brain uh, area that are uh, linked with auditory sensation. Nothing's nothing's happening. Wow. Same with physical sensation. Nothing's happening. However, people with locked-in syndrome, which is very similar but different, like I mentioned, their their body's dead, completely dead. Sometimes they can respond with blinks 
What's lock? What is locked in? Locked in syndrome is a very similar uh, issue to vegetative state where a part of their brainstem is has malfunctioned, or there's an injury there, or there's a lesion there, and your whole body is basically dead. However, you do receive sense uh, uh, thoughts and not thoughts, but you can receive external stimuli. So you you can hear people. Uh, you can't really you can't move your body at all and there are stories where some people have communicated through blinking like they'll show a, like a, a board of alphabets and they'll go through each letter and they'll say yeah and they'll blink at that letter and they'll say yeah this is what this person is trying and they'll make a whole word of it there's wow. stories like that I don't know how true it is like it's a bit deeper to go into but then it's asking then it questions whether that person is conscious or not does this person have a soul or not? Does a person who's in vegetative state have a soul? Does a person who's in locked-in syndrome who can actually receive outside stimuli, who can hear what people are saying, who also might have belief in God, does that person have a soul or not? And the same way, there's there's a neuroscientist named Ramachandran who's amazing. He's come up with some very... He's found some things that are absolutely incredible. When you read his books, he's... For example, there's phantom limbs that he's discovered um, and a few other things that he's discovered that are absolutely mind-blowing when you actually read into them. And there's one thing that he discovered that um, there's a part of the brain, and I hope no neuroscientists are listening because they might just call me out on this, but there's a part of the brain that connects the left hemisphere, left hemisphere with the right hemisphere. It's called the corpus callosum, and it links the two sides because they say that left hemisphere is uh, more creative thinking and the right hemisphere is more about decision-making, being logical and rational. And some people are more dominant left-sided, some people are more dominant right-sided. And the, the corpus callosum that connects both sides um, kind of make the brain function as a whole. And there was someone who uh, had very severe epilepsy and the, the treatment for epilepsy used to be that they would just cut that corpus callosum to diminish the brain activity. So when someone has epilepsy and they have seizures, what happens is their brain is overfiring. Like it's just going mental. Like every part of the brain is just firing, which causes their body to seizure and have these epileptic fits. So when the ep- corpus callosum is cut, it sort of slows down the brain and diminishes how much it's functioning and it, it stops the seizures. But what they found was that there was one individual who, when the corpus callosum was cut, he developed um, a personality disorder where he'll have multiple personalities. And one of his personalities was to believe in God and the other personality was to not believe in wow. God. And it's a, it's a very interesting question that does this, like who, where does this person go in the afterlife? He obviously believes spiritually in one part of his personality, the other part of his personality does not. So there are a lot of questions that come about from uh, trying to understand consciousness. Mm. But then again, it comes down to whether you want to align consciousness with the soul. And I would say you can't align the two. I say they'd work together, but you can't align, you can't use them in the same sentence uh, in terms of they're not, you can't use them interchangeably. Yeah, interchangeably. You can't say that they're exactly the same thing. Because being conscious is being aware of of what is outside or that's one uh that's one um what's the word that's one explanation of it however like i said someone who's in locked in syndrome is aware but they can't communicate they can't express their love for god or they can't exp- express their spirituality so it is very very interesting when you look into I, the science yeah of we just because of, you know we don't time you can't go into time. it yeah. but i do think at some level they do at the deeper level they do have to connect because consciousness uh, rationality, all of these thoughts, the, the ability to sort of really think on, in that moral state has to be linked yeah. to your soul yeah, and to your ultimate being, which is the soul which we believe 
is the connection closer to to God mm. and then remains after death after the physical death mm. so uh, yeah there, there I must agree, be. but it's just interchangeably it's difficult because when you if you search the science of the soul or the neuroscience of the soul it's diffi- nothing really comes up it all leads to neuroscience of consciousness and that's what I'm saying I don't think you can use them interchangeably but like you said they are they are very linked yeah good no, I think it's been a been a real, real sort of interesting uh, conversation. Mm. I, I wish we had started it a bit earlier. Actually, yeah, there's yeah, a lot, there's a lot more that we could um, we could go into with regards to it. Um, I think, yeah, just just as a closing, you know, it, as as I mentioned, the Promised Messiah has highlighted, uh, you know, the, the the three states of man, and I suppose the ultimate goal is to morally uh, sort of improve and grow yourself, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis, and really get to that level where you can uh, attain attain God. Um, thank you for listening uh, to Saturday Morning Live, and join us again uh, for next Saturday for another episode. كلمتان حبيبتان إلى الرحمن خفيفتان على اللسان ثقيلتان في الميزان. سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله العظيم. There are two expressions which are very dear to Allah the Gracious. They are light on the tongue, easy to say, but are much heavy in the scales of Allah. These are Exalted is Allah with all His glory, exalted is Allah with all His majesty. <laughs>